Welcome to show 27 of Turf Dudes. Today we're joined by Dr. J.C. Chong. Dr. Chong is a professor and extension specialist of turf and ornamental entomology at Clemson University. In today's show, we talked to Dr. Chong about the problematic Bermuda grass mite. We discuss identification, biology, and some management strategies for the problematic pest. If you'd like to support the show, you can help us out by subscribing to us on iTunes, YouTube Music, or SoundCloud. If you have a topic you'd like for us to address, or a person you'd like to hear from, please send it to us at turfdudes@heralds.com. That's T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S at heralds.com. So without further ado, enjoy the show. Dr. Chong, thanks for joining us. Uh, the first thing to really to kind of set the table for the rest of the discussion is today about Bermuda grass mites. Can you just give us a quick overview of the generalities of just Bermuda grass mite biology, kind of the history, where it came from, and you know what makes that insect uh, particularly pro- problematic in Bermuda grass turf? Good job. Thanks for having me today. Um, so for those of you that are not familiar with Bermuda grass mite, um, hopefully there are a few of you now. <laughs> because I've been starting to work with Bermuda grass mite since uh, 2009 uh, for a new entomologist faculty member at Clemson University. That was really a shock. I visited a golf course in Hilton Head, and the fairway is just about devoid of grass. And everywhere you see green, those greens are actually the witch's broom caused by Bermuda grass mite. So the Bermuda grass mite basically is a small mite that only specializes in Bermuda grass. So when they feed on the Bermuda grass, they will cause a sort of a distortion or a stunting of the growth of the Bermuda grass. So what you ended up having is a very short internode for the Bermuda grass. And you have these classic symptoms of witch's bloom. That's what we call, um, some people will call it a pine tree which I thought was pretty appropriate as well. Uh, but what you're going to see is that the uh, internode is much shorter, and then all the nodes are bunched together uh, in a little tub or rosette. And, of course, uh, when you have that kind of stunting and whatnot, your grass is not growing properly. So um, you're basically starting to have thin spots in the turf, and as it continues to develop, as it continues to kill your terminal, uh, you basically have bare spots, and that's perfect for we to start um, invading. Yeah, uh, Dr. Chong, is is the Bermuda grass mite something that we can a turf manager can see with the naked eye? Okay, well that's a good question. Now, Bermuda grass mite itself is very, 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 very small. Um, if you have a very high power hand lens, for example, a twenty times magnification hand lens you might be able to see a little tiny little specks on it. Um, but the best way to look at them uh, really is through a microscope. So for field, diagnos- uh, for field diagnosis uh, of a Bermuda grass mite infestation, we usually look for that uh, witch's broom. Uh, so when you, once you find the witch's broom, you can always peel it back and see whether you can find the mite or not. And usually you could because we we'll find anywhere from 50 to 2,000 mites under each terminal. So a lot of time you see them. But again, unless you have a very high power hand lens, um, it will be a little bit difficult to see them in the field. 
Dr. Chong, this is uh, Jason Frank. Um, do we have um, an understanding of what potentially causes that witch's broom to, to occur like that? Well, we don't, we don't really know what is causing that witch's broom, um, to be honest. As, uh, as a group, the, the Bermuda grass mite belongs to a big group of mites called Iriophyte mite, and they have a very similar biology and very similar way to damage. And this group of mites always cause some kind of a distortion in the plant growth. And most of the time, those kind of distortions are caused by some sort of chemical that the mite ingests inject into the plant tissue, those chemicals behave more like a growth regulator. So basically, they stop the cell from um, dividing and expanding. Uh, that's why your terminal, your, your internal is kind of not expanding as it usually would, and you ended up having that which is good. So that's typically what happened. But some of the uh, mite species also transmit some kind of virus that can cause distortion as well. One of the example is a rose, rose rosette mite, which is also a urified mite, uh, related to the new rat mite. Um, and the way they cause a, a rose rosette disease is through injection of a virus. But for bromidograph mite, I think what is happening is actually a growth regulator that has been injected into it. Who knows? Down in the future, we might be able to uh, actually identify what that growth regulator is. and Cha-ching! There'll be a new kind of growth regulator out for your Bermudagrass. Probably better than your Primo or something. Yeah, we're always looking for the next big best thing. So. <laughs> yeah, oh. Use biology, man. <laughs> How about, is there, a, is there a specific time of year that Bermudagrass might seems to be more problematic than others? I mean, is, there a, is it a temperature trigger, a soil moisture trigger? What, what makes this uh, mite go? So, um, when let's answer the question of when first. So the uh, typical timing for um, noticing Bermudagrass mite uh, in the Carolinas and some of our study basically showing that you're starting to see them just as the grass is greening up. And then their numbers, the number of witches broom will continue to increase until about you know mid to late June. And then we see a decrease. It's almost like after that, some of the terminals starting to die, they never recover, and they just kind of have this uh, slowly decline of the uh, Bermuda, grass mine, uh, Bermuda grass terminal numbers. Uh, in Florida, one of the recent studies conducted by Flor University of Florida basically showing that most superintendents actually see more Bermuda grass mine damage or the witch's broom in March and October. So for them, that seems to be too big. But for us in the Carolinas and probably the rest of the country, we probably have one peak, basically from April all the way up to um, June, July, and then slowly peter out. And even though they peter out, even though the, uh, the number of rosette peter out, it doesn't mean that the mites are gone because we also collected number of, uh, so collected uh, plant terminal, grind them, up, grind them up and try to see if we can find the mites in there. We continue to find mites in those terminals. So as long as the grass is green, I think the mites will be there. But for whatever reason, they don't cause damage later in the in the year. As far as why, I'm not entirely sure. It probably has a lot to do with the growth of the Bermuda grass. 
in the spring, when after it greens up, that's when the, when the grass is really growing uh, vigorously, and is providing the mite a lot of good um, terminal to infest and cause damage. But after in the in the summer and in the fall, where your number of terminal basically stay about constant, uh, there's not a whole lot of new terminal being produced. Um, that's why we don't see a lot of new terminal pop, popping up at that time. I mean, I don't know, in Florida, maybe they have a second spur for the growth. Um, that's why they see a second spur of uh, which is grown in October, um, but we don't know for sure. And doctor, how, how long does a mite live? What's the, the life cycle of, of a mite, Bermuda well, grass mite? Some of the work has been done in the 1960s to try to find out, and at that time, what I was finding out is that the mite will take about a week to grow from eggs to adult, and they'll live for maybe two more weeks. And that's it. So for one mite, the life cycle is very, very short. Um, but because but because they, they have such a short life cycle, uh, you can actually cram a lot of generation uh, in a year. Any idea, you mentioned that they're present in Florida, they're present in the Carolinas. Any idea on the geographic distribution of the mites across the country? Well, there's not really a good survey of where the mites are. And that's something that probably I should need to be doing down the future. But as far as my own observation, I can say that I've seen it anywhere from uh, as far north as... Um, Virginia, all the way across to uh, California. So you can sort of draw that one line straight across. And so I would say probably at least a third of the U.S. probably is, uh, um, have you can find a Bermuda grass mite, no problem. And, but of course, uh, Bermuda grass also grows at my much higher uh, latitude as well. And those are the areas that I haven't gone and looked. And I haven't heard much report about Bermuda grass might up that way. But if you are in the southern third of the U.S., well, that's a pretty good chance that you see them. Dr. Chong, this is uh, Jason Frank. Is there, we're talking about Bermuda grass in general, obviously there's a lot of types of Bermuda grass out there. Is there any varieties um, or cultivars that seem to be more susceptible than others that you found? Well, um, most just about all the uh, cultivars that are Bermuda grass mites I've looked at will have Bermuda grass mites. We can can express that symptom, um, but the severity of the damage seems to be seems seems to be a little bit different from cultivars to cultivars. Um, some of the work that has been done by uh, Jim Reiner in two thousand eight. Um, so he looked at several different variety of Bermuda grass. And what he is seeing is that uh, some of the really susceptible variety include um, Champion and Tiff Dwarf and Tiff Green. Even though Tiff Dwarf and Tiff Greens are ultra dwarf Bermuda grass, mite, uh, Bermuda grass variety, if you let them grow long enough, you can still see that which is so, um So it doesn't really matter whether you have a common Bermuda grass or hybrid Bermuda grass, most likely they are susceptible to. To the Bermuda grass mite, and and in one of this, in the study Jim Reiner did in 2008, also showed that tipway is not particularly susceptible, but 
what we have observed since then is that tip weight of 419 is also susceptible to chromium uh, breath mite as well. So it's kind of like when you do a study in the lab and then something is showing up, but when you put it in the field, something different showing up. So uh, the infestation is probably not so much because of the susceptibility of different varieties. It's probably more about the environment that you put the um, the mite into. I mean, put the grass into. So, uh, some of the some of the environment that we have seen that's pretty conducive to um, development of the, the damage, mite damage, is a drought. If you have a lower irrigation, what we have seen is that typically you will you will see more damage, and uh, um, high higher than normal fertilization rate for some variety probably will be an issue as well. Um, and also probably temperature. Um, if the temperature is higher, then you're probably gonna, gonna have a lot of issues with familiar uh, grass mite damage. So overall, really though, is that um, usually it's a stressed grass that is um, much more susceptible to damage uh, by the familiar grass. You mentioned about the ultra dwarfs and the um, champion and, and, and uh, tiff eagle. Is there a mowing height effect? So if they, those turfs are mowed at a typical greens height, do you not generally see the, the effects? Right. Some of the study um, that my graduate student done really is uh, showing that pretty nicely. So one of the studies that my graduate student, Mac Brown, has done the last year is to look at different mowing heights and see how many witches broom come out from it. So we use um, Celebration Bermudagraph, which is probably one of the most susceptible variety. So we mow it at uh, half an inch, one inch, one and a half inch, and two inch. What he's showing is that if you mow it at half an inch, um, if you mow it at about, uh, if you mow it at the lowest height, which is half an inch, you are going to see the fewest number of witches group. And if you mow it at one inch or above, you're going to see a lot more, simply because that you actually give the mites more habitat, basically, to, uh, to, to, uh, to develop. And he take, take the experiment one step further, Basically, not just looking at the witches' room, but also count the mites. And what he is seeing is that the number of mites really doesn't change. Depends on your mowing height. If you have a terminal, the night the number of mites will be the same. So what that is telling me is that you know it's not so much that you mow low and there will be fewer mites. What is happening is that if you mow low, uh, you are removing a lot more terminal uh, that the mites can can feed on. And if you let it grow a little bit longer, you got a little bit more terminal for them, for them to be causing damage. Interesting. And even at the lower heights of cut, you know, do you still think there's negative effects on the turf, even though there's less witches brooms? Well, that's a good question. I mean, that, that would that would really depends on what kind of variety you have, of course. Uh, if you are, if you have an ultra ultra dwarf bromeliograph variety, then mowing low is really the best way to keep them well. Um, in that case, for them, uh, mow, low mowing is probably not a big deal. Uh, but for some other variety, if you mow it way too short, then you probably have some uh, growth redu uh, reduction. And in that case, you kind of have to push it a little bit with more irrigation or fertilization. Uh, just let them keep it up. 
Are there areas on a golf course? Uh, you mentioned some other, some typical uh, droughty areas, excessive fertilized, high temperature areas. But is there an area on a golf course or on a sports field or home lawn that you would typically find Bermuda grass mites? Say, for example, next to a concrete paving or on a fairway or on a tee box or right. in, any of those things. Right. For the home lawn, that's usually where we find them is right along the uh, walkway. Um, some kind of pavement. Uh, like I say, simply because the fact that they're so close to the pavement, and the pavement is a great way, either it's concrete or asphalt, it doesn't matter, is a great way to retain and release the heat. So if you look at the temperature, it's always a lot higher near the pavement. So that increased temperature seems to help with the mite development right next to the pavement. And that's typically what we're seeing in, uh, in residential. In a sports field, uh, relationship is a little bit less well defined. You can see Bermuda grass might basically here, there, and just about everywhere. Um, but wherever you actually don't mow them very high, um, you w typically will see more witches. And it's the same thing with a golf course. On a golf course, we never seen Bermuda grass might uh, damage on um, greens and tees simply because they're motion short. Um, but as soon as you get into the apron, you're starting to see them again. Again, that kind of tells you that the uh, mowing height really costs different uh, when it comes to uh, how much damage you're going to see. Uh, this is Jason Frank. Um, so what is the best treatment options that you have seen to combat the Bermudagrass mite that you've seen most effective in some of your studies? Right. Um, All right. <coughs> Like I say, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been looking at Bermuda grass mites since 2009, and one of my first studies is ready to throw the kitchen sink at the problem. So I grab all kinds of insecticide and whatnot from the uh, shelf and apply them to the plot, and just to see which one actually do the job. And at that time, what we're finding out is that diazinon is probably the most effective, and that basically. Uh, corroborated some of the uh, early observation by Jim Reiner in the 80s and uh, in 2000 where, you know, diazinon is best. Of course, diazinon is not available anymore, so, um, so we need to find other options. So the other options would be uh, one of the products uh, we look at is Abbott or Abamectin, and that one turns out to be um, second best in some way. And then we follow up by that is uh, Copyrifos, uh, or Thurspan, and then also uh, Dicorfo or Calthane. Um, so all those four products are basically the one in some of my earlier studies that shown more promise. And one of the most commonly used product is uh, Bifendrin. And in my test, it never really had much of a good efficacy at all, even though that's what a lot of people use for controlling the metagraph mite. But in some of my, in my research, it's, it's not particularly effective. So uh, more recently, we have looked at some of the uh, some of the other some of the other um, chemical for controlling the mutagraph mite, and some of those are actually registered for control of the area fire mites in ornamental plants. So um, we have tested a few of them, and I think we have found one or two that seems show some promise. And because they are not registered for turf, I'm not going to say anything about it here. Uh, but I mean, I'm working with the company that produced them to try to see if we can get a special label 
for their use on turf. So we'll see how that goes. But so far, uh, the most effective product that's available for controlling Bermuda grass mite is uh, uh, Devonum. Devonum is, uh, of course, by uh, Abermectin. Um, if you apply it at about, hmm, forgot what is the, uh, let me look at the rate again. All right, so Devonum, if, if you apply it about six fluid ounce per acre, that would be the rate. About four times. During the what's the timing for that application, Dr. Chong? What's the timing for that application in you know in the various regions that you might be able to to best prescribe? There is not really a whole lot of research on that. Um, some of the some of the so so the idea is basically that all right. So if the damage starting to show up as soon as the grass green up, of course you want to hit them hard at the beginning, right? Just sort of nip the bud in some way. And uh, we did a study a few years ago to compare application timing in April and June, just to compare them and see how it goes. And in that particular result basically showed that the June application is better than April application, which is, you know, contradicting our expectation uh, in some way. But, you know, the more I look at the data, the more I realize, you know, the data may not be as good as I think it is. Simply because, remember that I mentioned earlier that we see an increase in the numbers of witches' broom until June, and then it crash. So my question is, why we are seeing the reduction of Midograss mite terminal in June from, from the June application, all that reduction, is it because actual, is actually because of the miticide application, or because the mite population is kind of on its way down anyway? So we're not entirely sure. So we're going to conduct more study down the road just to fine tune this um, application timing uh, uh, question. For now, my recommendation is basically that if you have a Bermuda grass mite infestation now, in next spring, as soon as it greens up, I will start the treatment. Is, is there something that we can add to these treatments to improve the the efficacy and effectiveness of these uh, compounds you just noted? Absolutely. Um, the, um, of course, remember that the uh, bermudagrass might basically feed in that really tight space between um, the leaf blade and the stem. So the key to actually killing them is to get that spray solution deep down into that little tiny gap. So you need to add adjuvant uh, to your spray solution. So um, I have always used uh, dynamic uh, as an adjuvant, but this past year with uh, support from Harold, we actually tested several different uh, adjuvants from Harold and tried to see which one uh, is working better. We have tested several different adjuvants. Uh, we have uh, Celestine, we have Penetrim Plus, and then we have Activator, and we compared that to uh, dynamic and see which one is closest to dynamic or even better than dynamic. And what we are finding out is that uh, Penetrant Plus really uh, jumped up as one of the uh, penetrant that could have just as good as efficacy as uh, dynamic. And so the objective is, as you noted, was to maximize distribution of the active ingredient into all the, the little nooks and crannies associated with the turf grass physiology. That's correct. So uh, just like what I said, I think one thing that Penetrant Plus could do is that 
it really helped that spray solution from penetrating uh, into that tight space. And in that way, you can actually get in contact with the mites and kill them. Um, that's just about the only way uh, you can reduce the mite population. So what's uh, this kind of last question for myself and other guys can ask questions as well, but what, what's next as far as trying to develop better protocols for, for Bermuda grass mite research? What are, what are some other things that are worthwhile to take a look at? Well, so far what we have done has always been piecemeal, you know, like, all right, let's look at mowing height. Okay. Let's look at irrigation regime. Let's look at fertilization. Let's look at different kind of mitocytes. So the next step, I think, for us to actually move away or move forward with this permitograph mite research really is to try to put all those pieces together, uh, develop more of a program approach. And of course, right now, because I say right now, Divinim is just basically the most effective product. And it is also really the only product that is very, uh, that is very effective. Because think about it, when I say earlier, some of the more effective products are diazinol. No, we haven't had diazinol for decades. We can use that for decades now. And then follow up, uh, the next best thing is uh, copyrifos or thurspin and dicopyl or kelthane. Both of those will be gone. In fact, kelthane is already gone. And, 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 and thurspin is right on its heel. So right there, everything that I've tested Divinim is the one is the ones, one man the only man standing at the moment. So just to avoid the development of resistance, we probably need to uh, develop or try to look at some other product as well, just so that we can broaden uh, the arsenal that we have, the options that we have, so that we don't have any kind of resistance issues. So again, basically, is to look at all these cultural management practices combined with. Uh, additional uh, miticide that we can use and develop more of a program approach uh, to the milgrass mite uh, control. And if that approach is something that we can actually uh, fit into what golf course superintendents are already doing, that's even better. It, is, it, is it possible or is there potential that the kind of the the double switch, as I say it, may have occurred over the last couple of decades in which turf managers have had to move away from some of these uh, legacy materials, as you noted. And then we've also more recently almost gone uh, back to using what some might call more common type Bermuda grasses. Has that double switch potentially led to the the reproliferation of these Bermuda grass mites. Yeah, I think I think both has uh, have something have some influence on why the Bermuda grass might become more of an issue in the past ten years. Uh, like you say, that the uh, the way that what how we switch over to more of a common type of Bermuda grass mite is definitely something of concern because it seems like the damage is much more pronounced on common type of Bermuda grass, for example, celebration. Uh, than the hybrid Bermuda. And also, we have stopped using a lot of uh, organophosphate insecticide on golf courses now. For example, Durspin, uh or you know, uh, some of the harsher stuff like calcium or something like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of reason why Bermuda grass mite has become more of an issue, and those are two that definitely uh, jump out to me. 
And also, in the past year, a few years, golf courses also changed their um, maintenance practices. What you are seeing is that they are, think they are looking more at reducing irrigation uh, or reducing input into the grass. And once you do that, a lot of time you sort of stress the grass itself and make them more susceptible to the uh, to the mites as well. Guys, anything else? Uh, no, it's good. Very no, but if, if, as, as Jeff noted, if if we can contribute in some way, shape, or form to your furthering your research efforts, let us know. We were well, that was uh, enjoyable to work with you on the, the adjuvant side and. If there's something else that you think we would fit our uh, our resources behind, you know, please let us know. Yeah, great. And you know, if you guys have worked with some of your clients and they have issues with Bermudagrass mine and they're not sure what the heck it is, uh, feel free to send me the sample. Um, you guys have connections all over the country. Like I say, we don't particularly know uh, what happened with Bermudagrass mine north of the third, southern third of the U.S., right? So more of the northern latitude, I'd like to know what the heck is going on up there. Um, so if you got any clients that have suspic suspicions about Bermudagrass mite infestation, feel free to send me the samples and we can process it, we can take a look at it and just to confirm whether it is or not. I don't know, I, I cannot identify your diseases, but, you know, if there's mites in it, I'll find it. <laughs> Do you, do you have a, a place that we can point customers to um, that uh, for for submission of samples or just more information in general if they would like to read up on Bermuda grass mite? Right. Um, the best way to actually get samples too is probably just look for me, JC Chong, Google it. You'll find me there, yeah. find the address there, just ship it overnight. And that will work. Of course, send me an email, let me know, so you know, I, I can't expect it. Um, as far as information, uh, we have published, my graduate student and I published an article in 2018 at GCM online on yep. the mic. You can find that online, freely available. And we are actually writing an update to that one. And it will be published at here at Clemson. Um, so when they become available, I'll let you guys know. The newest okay. one will have a lot more um, new information. All right. Well, thank you for your time today. Much appreciated. Okay. Yeah. Much appreciated. That wraps up our interview with Dr. Chong. If you're interested in learning more about Bermuda grass mites, references to the studies we mentioned, those can be located in the episode show notes. If you want to support the show, you can help us out by subscribing to us on iTunes, YouTube Music, or SoundCloud. If you have a topic you'd like for us to address or a person you'd like to hear from, please send it to us at turfdudes at heralds.com. That's T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S at heralds.com. We'll see you next time.